Well, as we enter into our time of worship through the Word, uh, we return to the book of Philippians. And about 12 weeks ago, when we began our study on this book, we noted that um, it's a letter. It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church. And this church in Philippi seems to have been extremely healthy and, and vibrant and, and really a maturing church. The, it's pro- the church that was planted by Paul in Philippi is probably among the healthiest churches that he ever planted. You can sense Paul's connection and friendship with the people that he's writing to. I don't mean to say that the letter is without concerns or without criticisms or corrections. Paul did have a number of things that he wanted the people in the, in the church in Philippi to address. But overall, the tone of the letter is incredibly positive and affirming and full of love. The letter began in chapter 1, verse 3, with Paul thanking God for every time that he remembered his friends in Philippi and thanking, that, thanking God for the faith that he had given them. And today in chapter 4, verses 14 through 23, as we look at the end of the letter, we'll now see Paul thanking God for for these friends and thanking them for the way that they continue to support him in his ministry of sharing the gospel around the world. The heart and attitude of giving that the Philippians have um, can be a model for us today. Uh, We can look at their example, look at at how they pursued giving and generosity and and model our own desires to be generous um, off of their example. Paul wanted, to know, wanted these people to know that although he never asked for these gifts that they ended up sending him, uh, it was nonetheless, he was nonetheless extremely grateful for what they had given, and that's uh, the attitude, and that's the approach that he starts with today. In chapter 4, verses 14 <clears throat> through 16, as Paul writes, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me, and giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Verse 14 is really a genuine expression of, an, of appreciation and admiration for the kindness of the Philippian church. We don't know how much money they gave, and, and we don't know how often they were able to give, but we do know that these gifts helped ease and address some of the hardships that Paul faced while on his journeys throughout the empire. And we know from the language of the passage and the, and the original Greek words used that what he's talking about here when he talks about gifts are financial gifts, that the, the church in Philippi sent Paul money to help him with his missionary work. Paul also says that he regards the Philippians' commitment and kindness and, and what they were able to share uh, as a way that they were able to share in his troubles. The word for share in the original Greek is, is a word that really means to participate, to, to be part of the action. And so what we see here is that Paul does not regard these finan- this financial support that he receives from the church as, as sideline work. He doesn't see it as something lesser or, or, or something that just happens on the margins. He really feels that it's genuine participation in what he's doing. The Philippians weren't just sending money so that Paul could do missions for them and, and they could stay home and he, they could send him off to do those things. He really told them and he felt that he felt their connection the connection that, um, that they had to his work. He felt the church's connection to God's larger work in the world. Many of you uh, at Faith give to the general fund. And you know that the general fund goes to, to create our overall budget and it does things like keep the lights on, keep coffee in the coffee pots every Sunday morning. But what you may not be aware of is that a large chunk, a large portion of the, the overall budget every year and what comes out of that general fund goes uh, to supporting missionaries and supporting our work in missions around the world. And so financial support is not the only thing we do in missions, and it's not the only way we participate in God's larger global work, but it is a significant way that we partner with those that we send, like Michael and Susan. 
So on behalf of our missionaries and the leadership of this church, allow me to follow in the footsteps of Paul and tell all of you as, as givers to this church, tell all of you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing some of what God has given to you with others. Thank you for caring about missions and year after year approving a large missions budget that allows us to continue our financial partnerships with the people that we have sent. Thank you for your kindness and for the ways, both financially and especially relationally, that you come alongside our international and our campus missionaries. The gifts are important, and I guarantee you that they do in some way communicate love and support and remembrance to our brothers and sisters in Christ who receive them. Thank you so much for the generosity of this church. In verses 15 and 16, we learn that not only had Paul had the Philippians, I'm sorry, not only had the Philippians generously sent financial support to Paul, but they also began doing so very shortly after they, they had kind of enough critical mass to become a church. They had enough people pulled together to, to, to establish a church in Philippi. In verse 15, when Paul says that all of this happened in the beginning of the gospel, what he means is in the beginning of their experience with the gospel, in the beginning of at the first times when the Philippians really heard the gospel and began to believe it for themselves. So a helpful paraphrase of verses 15 and 16 might go something like this. And as it pops up on the screen, you'll see down here at the bottom, it says, not scripture, paraphrased by Sam Crager, not scripture. So this is not to be quoted as scripture. This is just a helpful tool for us to understand what Paul's saying here. But anyway, a paraphrase, a paraphrase might go something like this. You Philippians remember, just as I will never forget, that even though you were new to the gospel and to the faith, you, and to the faith, you still chose to support me as I left your city and continued beyond Macedonia. No other churches partnered with me like, like you did. Even when I had only gotten as far as Thessalonica, you helped me not just once, but twice. Rephrasing these verses in this way helps us because it, it brings, makes clear a really fascinating detail. The first time the Philippians sent a gift to Paul was when he had left and gone to Thessalonica. <clears throat> Now, you can read a part about this part of Paul's journey in Acts chapter 16 and 17, but the detail that I want to focus on here is that Thessalonica is really only about 100 miles away from Philippi. And so for Paul to get there, it probably would have taken one week, maybe two weeks, depending on what mode of travel that he chose. And so shortly after he left the church of Philippi, he received this first gift. And so if we kind of trace out what's going on here, something really pretty amazing happens, and, and the heart of the Philippians really kind of comes out and shines. So if you kind of go back in the history of what's going on here, we see that Paul gets to Philippi, preaches the gospel, and starts a church there. He gets the church going there, but he quickly gets in trouble with the local law after he heals a young woman with an evil spirit. And so Paul and his traveling buddy Silas go to prison and end up bringing the jailer and his whole family to faith. And then the next day, they are told by the local governing officials, you got to get out of town. We don't want you here. Leave. And so they, they meet outside the city with the local leadership of this brand new church, this leadership that has been leadership for all of like three days, and kind of tells them, you know, remember what we taught you, good luck, we have to leave. And they, and they set off on the rest of their journey and head for the city of Thessalonica. And when they get there, they start their ministry up again, and, and that's when they get their first surprise. The church in Philippi, perhaps now around maybe three weeks old, has sent the money to help in their ministry work. And remember, at this time in history, there's no Venmo or, pen, or PayPal. And so in order for that money to get there, at the time that it got there, the Philippian church would have had to send it maybe two or three days after Paul and Silas first left. What this means is that a church, maybe a week old, decided to send money to some missionaries without being asked, 
Not just once, but multiple times. That's how committed this church was to the spreading of the gospel. That's why Paul is so thankful and so excited for them. Because he can see that they are already on a path of understanding and and understanding how worth the gospel is and how much it needs to be shared all over the world. How we spend our money says a lot about what we truly value and what we really believe. And Paul is all smiles when he thinks about the Christians in the church of Philippi because he sees that they really value and they really believe in the surpassing worth of more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They happily and readily and eagerly and generously invest in what they believe can help continue that all-important mission of telling people about Jesus. A fact of which, in verse 17, Paul gets really excited about. It says, not that I seek a gift. So again, Paul keeps telling him, I'm not seeking your gift. I didn't ask you for anything. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Again, Paul emphasizes that he hasn't sought any gifts from this church, but he was excited to receive them not only because of the obvious benefit to him, but even more so because of the truly wonderful benefit it was to them, the senders. See, Paul, relentless apostle that he was, can't help but switch back into a teaching mode because he wants to be sure his friends understand what their kind, and, what their kind gift really means and what it reveals about what's going on in their hearts. What excited Paul was not so much that he had received money, and, and I mean, he was really glad that he'd received money. Everyone's glad when they receive money. Um, and I'm sure it made his ministry a little bit easier, and he, and he was super grateful. But Paul saw something significant in the Philippians' act of giving, something that as their friend and their pastor and their discipler brought him great joy. The generosity that the Philippians were so ready to engage was exactly the sort of fruit the sort of character and the sort of action that Paul knew to be a hallmark of true believers. It signaled his friend's transformation. They hadn't been generous because they wanted to earn or purchase what Paul had taught them. Instead, they had been generous because of what Paul had taught them and the gospel he had shared with them and the way it began to change their lives. Another way to say this would be that our genuine generosity is evidence of our established and increasing faith in Christ. Our genuine generosity is evidence of our established and increasing faith in Christ. Paul didn't get much time with the Philippians. It it would have only been natural and human for him to really wonder whether or not they'd got it, whether or not they'd really understood what he was teaching, and whether or not the gospel had really planted itself in their hearts. So imagine how good it must have felt for him to receive that first gift, for Epaphroditus to show up and knock on his door and sit down with him and then surprise him with a sum of money that was worth far more than its monetary value. Perhaps it's something similar to to giving your kids their allowance and then being proud and, and, and surprised and maybe even a little shocked when they decide to take some of that allowance and share it with a hurting friend or offer it up to, 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 help pay, you know, to help send money to a missionary that your family supports, or even bring it to church and put it in the offering bag. When they do this, we know that they're showing some sort of maturity, that they're thinking beyond themselves, and that they want to contribute to something or contribute to someone that they believe in. And you know something about their hearts has grown and changed, and you know that it's changed for the better. That's what Paul sees in the lives and the character of the Philippians here. Their giving has signaled that that sort of fruit that we all hope to see in the lives of of those that we love and hope to see in the lives, uh, in our our own lives, that sort of fruit has started to grow and started to flourish. 
It's actually the sort of thing that Paul says he's been praying for to happen to the Philippians. Back in chapter 1 in the opening of his letter, he said to them, uh, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. We get the fruit that Paul is excited to see. When we get the fruit that Paul is excited to see, this fruit of righteousness, this fruit of generosity, the things that, that, that show, show off that the fruits of the Spirit are, are happening in our lives. When we get these things, it's not through our own efforts, but through our relationship with Jesus. We, when genuine generosity goes on display, it's because Jesus has put it there in our hearts. Our faith leads us to trust him, and when we trust him, we find freedom to give. This is in part why we put this specific ideal, this specific trait in our church's value statements. If you were to look there, you would see the value of intentional generosity. Since God is generous, we seek to live out, we seek to live out intentional generosity as a way of life. We experience deep joy when we choose to be generous with our material and spiritual resources. So a question I have for you to consider this morning is this. Are you genuinely and intentionally generous? Are you genuinely and intentionally generous? Do you experience the sort of deep joy when uh, the deep joy that we believe comes with the giving of our spiritual and our, and our material resources? And to be clear, this passage today is, is really chiefly about financial and material resources. Paul's talking about the money that the Philippians have sent to him. But we absolutely believe that the Bible affirms that this same sort of generosity, we should have the same attitude toward our time and our talent and our abilities and, and our spiritual abilities, as well as the financial resources that we have. God wants us to be generous, and he asks us if we really genuinely want to pursue that ideal. How might you be thankful for the ways that God has shaped this value in your life? And how might you continue to grow? Are you genuinely and intentionally generous? Paul says our giving produces and reveals the fruit in our lives that is increasing to our credit. Being generous will have a positive spiritual impact, a positive impact on our lives now and in our lives in the kingdom to come. Our faith will grow, our joy will grow, and in some way, our heavenly reward will grow as well. Not because of the greatness of ourselves, and not, because of the, and not because of anything that we do, but because of the greatness and the kindness and the righteousness and the love that Christ shares with those who are in a relationship with him. Genuine generosity is evidence of our established and increasing faith in Christ. Paul also says that our generosity has a very clear and terrific benefit. It pleases God. It pleases God. In verse 18, he writes, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Biblical truths are not always this black and white clear. They're not always painted out this easy. And so when they are, you should really enjoy the fact that they're there and, and easy to grab onto. Because what Paul is saying here is this, our genuine gen generosity pleases God. Our genuine generosity pleases God. At this point, I feel compelled to tell you that my original title for this sermon was So Long and Thanks for All of This. Those of you who are Douglas Adams fans will under, understand that maybe. Uh, but genuine generosity kept coming up and it seemed more on point, but I didn't want to waste the title. So that's what the original one was. <laughs> anyway, if you want to make God happy, if you want to make God happy and take a moment to consider this and appreciate what I'm saying here. If you want to generate the emotion of joy in the heart of God, if you want to generate the emotion of joy in the heart of God, which is an awesome thing to think about, 
then be a genuine, cheerful, willing giver with what he has given to you. Genuine generosity pleases God. The illustration Paul chooses here is interesting. He says that the gifts he received from the Philippians, and by extension, the same gifts that we give to people, the same thing happens when we give to others. These gifts are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now that's language straight out of the Old Testament. It's how the priests and the prophets used to describe the effectiveness of their burnt offerings that were meant to to atone for sin or to petition the Lord for a blessing. If your sacrifice was genuine and you came to the altar for the right reasons and in the right way and with the right attitude, then God would find your sacrifice pleasing. This is why when Israel fell into disobedience and injustice was rampant in the old Jewish kingdoms, God ended up despising and rejecting these sacrifices. Instead of giving to God out of reverence and respect, they gave to him out of the hope of cajoling him or bargaining for his blessing. And God has never been okay with that because that's not a loving relationship. And that's why we needed the work of Christ. Jesus himself is now our atoning sacrifice and our advocate in heaven. We don't have to try to generate forgiveness through sacrifice. Christ has that taken care of. So the payoff here is is that now that when we want to give something, when we want to go to God with something, we can do so freely and simply because we want to let God know how much we trust him and how thankful we are to be a part of his redemptive work in the world. We can just give out of pure thankfulness. Our generosity pleases him because it's genuine. It is a response to what he has done for us. And it's a reflection of his own kindness and love toward us. Our challenge then is simple. Do we want to please God? Do we really want to please God? If our answer is yes, then our action is clear. We need to be generous with what he gives. We need to share what we have and what we earn and what is given with others. Now, it's important to note there's no amount attached to this. It's all about the action and the attitude, what's going on in your heart that really matters. Whether you can give a lot or whether you can give a little, what really matters is why you give. Is it because generosity pleases God and you have a desire to please him? Or is it because that you really hope that you can just placate him if you give a little bit more? Genuine generosity pleases the heart of God. Give in order to go after his heart. The final point I want to make today comes from verse 19, where it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The key to understanding this verse correctly is to keep it within the context of this passage. Because it's really tempting to to isolate this verse and read it as kind of a a carte blanche promise that God will supply everything you will ever need at any time in any way. And then when that happens, you feel really great. And when it doesn't happen, you get really confused and you get really frustrated. This sort of thinking leads us down a dangerous path of of, of believing, uh, sorry, there we go. This, This sort of thinking leads us down a dangerous path that results in mistakenly believing that our relationship with God is all about a profitable payday that our obedience will eventually equal prosperity. We start mixing our needs with our wants, and then we get into the bad habit of trying to tell God what our needs are and making demands of him. Paul's understanding of how God meets needs is very different. He does not think that our giving and our sacrifices get plugged into some divine equation that produces a certain amount of blessing for ourselves. 
Instead, Paul acknowledges that the Philippians have been filled with a passion to give. They've been given a calling and, and, a, and a, a burning desire to give and to support him. And because Paul can understand that that's their passion, that that's the work God's called them to, he gladly accepts their gifts, seeing them as a sign of their obedience to faith, and then he assures them that it's up to God to supply what we need to be generous. It's up to God to supply what we need to be generous, but it's up to us to be generous with what he supplies. God will supply you with everything you need to continue the work that he's called you to do. It's, his, it's your job, it's faithfulness. His job is equipping and provision. It's up to God to supply us what we, what we need to be generous, but it's up to us to respond with generosity to what he supplies. Now, you might be tempted to say, well, I, I really thought that being generous was how I got blessed. I thought, I thought that's how this relationship worked. But I would challenge you to consider this. It is a blessing to be generous. The ability to share what God has given you with others is an awesome gift of the Lord. And it's exactly the sort of thing that Christ did during his life and his ministry. He shared his knowledge, his wisdom, his gospel, his power, his life. He continues to share his saving grace with us today. If God puts it on your heart to give, then he will supply in some way everything you need to do to be generous, just in the same way that he called you to follow Christ and supplies you with everything that you need to continue down that path of righteousness. What Paul is sharing with the Philippians is very similar to what he tried to teach the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where he says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Really take some time to consider what Paul's trying to say in this passage. Yes, if you, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. But then what do you do with that harvest? What does he say you should do with that harvest? Is it is the prosperity that comes from it meant to be for your enjoyment and your consumption alone? No. You're supposed to thank God for what you've been given and then give it back again. Go replant. Go continue to, to, to sow bountifully so that you reap bountifully and so that you can give more again. We're meant to be conduits of God's blessing, not reservoirs. We're meant to share, not hoard. It's up to God to supply what we need to be generous. But it's up to us to be generous with what he supplies. So what will you do this week with this knowledge? How might you be genuinely generous? I would challenge you this week to, to seek out a new way to, to give to somebody and see how it, how it feels. See how it may enrich your connection with God. See how it might enrich your relationship with God. It could be something small, like buying the coffee for the person behind you. It could be maybe a bigger step that you've ever taken, like going out to Michael and Susan and saying, I'd love to, to join up and be a part of this, you know, funding this project that you've got that you're trying to get underway as soon as you get on the ground in Indonesia. Again, remember, it's not about the amounts or the size. It's about your heart behind what you're doing. Do you genuinely desire to seek God and please God through your giving? Is, is, do you have the willingness to, to trust him and turn over what he's given to you back over to him and, and share it with others? What has God given you that you might be able to reinvest in the lives and the blessing of others? How can you show your love for Christ in the world in this way? 
One final thing that I would want to say is that for most of my Christian life, I have been a lot more broke than I have been flush. Um, for a long time, it was really hard for me to hear passages that talked about giving, that talked about generosity, because I would feel guilty, because I didn't have a lot to give. And I understood that I could give my time, and I understood that I could give my abilities, but at the same time, I wanted to be able to give financially. But I had to have the humility to understand where God had me in life at that time. A lot of times, I had to be the beneficiary, beneficiary of generosity. And by God's grace, I'm now in a position where I can give, and it is an incredible blessing, and I love to be able to give, but it takes a tremendous amount of trust. Because I know that, you know, what I give away means I don't get to use it later. And even though it's blessing somebody else, I have to trust that God's going to be able to equip me to be able to give that away. And so what I want to encourage you is that, again, it's not the amount, it's the attitude behind it. And that if you really feel like you're called to give, if you really feel like you want to engage in financial generosity, spend some time in prayer and really seek how God might be equipping you for that task. It's, it's really all about the heart and the attitude and the desire to worship and please God through how you give. Would you please pray with me? <clears throat> Father God, we, we thank you for this message and we, we thank you that you are a God who, who calls people to be loving and generous, who wants us to, to go out into the world and help people with what we have, that we're not here to, to keep it all for ourselves, but we really truly are called by you to share it with others just as Christ shares his love and his life and all that he has with us. God, we could, all, uh, we could all use the challenge of being more generous in our lives. So show us how that might happen, whether it's financially, whether it's emotionally, relationally, whether it's we can share more of our time and abilities, whatever it is, Lord, just reveal that in our hearts now as these last few songs bring us to a close. And uh, yeah, and challenge us to go out into the world and be generous in the way that you are generous with us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.